Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier NFT art podcast. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating amazing art. We're excited to help you in your collecting journey. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Into the Collection. Today, we're going to be doing a deep dive on the Memories of Chi Lin by Emily Shia, which uh, we are both really excited about because we love this project. But before going into that, let's introduce ourselves. My name is P. I'm at Aston Cloud on Twitter. I'm joined by my co-host, Jared, who is at Jared underscore pause on Twitter, and uh, also the founder of the 8NAP Fund. So uh, how are you doing today, Jared? I'm doing exceptional, man. Uh, other than a little bit of sniffles going around the family, life is good. I have no complaints. Well, that happens time to time. And uh, if that's the worst, I'm very happy for you, my friend, because, you know, the sniffles, they're there. But Help you feel good when you're not sick, right? Help remind you of that. Um, Perspective. So, Jared, before we go in, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit last time, but you have started the 8NAP Fund. I wanted to shill you because I have zero affiliation with the 8NAP Fund for our listeners. Just Jared's running it. And uh, he has some big news. You want, you want to tell everybody your news for 8NAP? Yeah, no, I'm super excited. Our first round of investors are coming in and uh, commitments are are being locked in, so 8NAP is open. Uh, months and months of hard work to to get to the launch point have finally come to fruition. So um, we are 100% a green light, go legal contracts. Everything's in place. So um, if you're interested, please feel free to reach out or DM me because the interest is starting to flow in, and I'm excited. Absolutely. And for people who are not as familiar with the fund world, getting the first check is the hardest one. So this is an awesome accomplishment and milestone, man. I'm really excited to see where it goes. And I'm sure our listeners will tell, be able to tell how thoughtfully you take your approach to investing and managing not only your own money, but other people's money as well. So congratulations, you know, excited to see where it'll go. Okay. So before we dive into this episode, just quick disclaimers, uh, Jared and I both own pieces from this collection, and we are recording on Wednesday, August 31st. So as of this time, we own pieces from this collection. And I, I also just wanted to say thank you to everybody who has been listening to our episodes, giving us feedback. We really appreciate your support and your comments. I think you'll see we're trying to improve with every episode and, and get really to a format that is most useful for you. So please give us any feedback. And of course, if you want to support us, please subscribe on YouTube and on your podcasting platform of choice, especially Apple Podcasts and like and comment, review, any engagement. We appreciate it and love it. And as, as we say, reach out to us anytime. We're happy to help if you have any questions or you're thinking about different projects. So uh, Jared, memories, what, uh, what is your overall feeling about this collection? Before we dive into some of the details, like uh, give me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a holder. I have been uh, from just about the beginning. I absolutely love the collection. I think that, uh, and we'll touch on it later. The there's some higher end collectors, you know, top tier collectors that are aligned with that, and I think it has a, a lot of potential. Emily's newer to the gen art space. You know, been here less than six months since this collection released. And uh, I think, you know, th there's something magical about it and there's something that uh, really resonates with me and I think a lot of other collectors. Yeah, absolutely. I think this collection is very interesting for me for a couple of reasons. One, and we'll go into all the details, but the, the visuals are really striking and unlike some of the other generative art collections I've seen, and I don't mean those other collections are lacking, I mean the the way that the colors fit together, the way that she incorporates the use of patterns into this work, which is really interesting, and, and you know she talks about that a bit in a, in a video. We'll show you the general. There's something about this collection where I feel like it has my mind seeing things all the time, which maybe sounds like a bad thing, but I think it makes it captivating. I start seeing images that remind me uh, typically of nature, and so you know I really like that part of it, and. I think I just, the more I look at it, the more I enjoy it. You probably hear me saying that a lot, but hey, we're, we're covering the top uh, long form generative art collections here. So I, I would expect that to be the case here. And so before I kind of go too much into my whole uh, thesis around this collection, why don't we just 
kick it off and, and go over some basics. So uh, some general information about this collection. And actually, before I do that, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. So uh, you can see our DECA gallery. We, for all these deep dives, we create a DECA gallery alongside it that is meant to be a companion for people who are only listening on audio and is also meant to be a way for you to go back and look and have a summary to better understand this project and help you with your collecting. And uh, just a, a quick roadmap of where we go in these uh, conversations of these deep dives into the collection. We start with just some general history and background of both the collection and the artist, whatever is relevant. And then we talk about why this collection and we give you our framework for what we look for when deciding which collection could stand the test of time and is worth doing a real deep dive into. And then we go over the collection itself and review some of the different traits and which traits that we think might be just to help you understand everything that's out there and uh, all the nuances of the collection. And as we go through that, we'll talk about what the market seems to prefer. Uh, and then we talk about some opportunities or alpha, some uh, undervalued traits or categories, hidden traits that may not be in the metadata, other things that you might be able to collect from this artist, et cetera. And then we kind of have a little bit of a finale where we have some fun and, and buy some fake NFTs, which is of course our favorite part because uh, you know we, we, love, we love buying these things. So without further ado, we are talking about Memories of Shi, uh, Chi Lin by Emily Shia. This was released on March 21st, 2022. So as Jared alluded to, it has not been around for very long. Uh, it was released in Artblocks curated platform, which is uh, the top tier for Artblocks. And there are 1,024 pieces, roughly 46% unique holders. That might have changed in the last couple of days, but that was uh, most recently. So that's the quick background on the collection. Uh, maybe we can go a little bit into the, Emily's background and any history of this collection. So I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Jared, for that. Yeah, one of the things I've loved about Emily is, you know, her balance between, we'll call it East and West, left brain, right brain. She got her bachelor's in history and uh, of art and architecture and a master's in computational science and engineering from Harvard. So obviously a very intelligent and gifted uh, young lady, and then to be able to extrapolate that and and take these visions and put them into to code it is absolutely amazing. Um, living in New York, it's obviously a, a huge mixing ground for a lot of art and talent. So I can only imagine the amount of inspiration she gathers and the people she's surrounding herself, which I think is absolutely um amazing and you know she she did a artist in residence at pioneer works and so it's she's got a very incredible history in my opinion of blending like i said that left and right brain and, and being able to to put herself out there and, and by putting herself out there it's been ridiculously well received not only from the art blocks crew but you know bright moments she had her her release there and then recently with proof. So the, the community has largely embraced her. And I think that the what, what you see is the, the amount of thought that uh, goes into these projects are absolutely next level. I mean, even to to get into to memories, it talks about how it's inspired by East Asian art and it channels a sense of movement and fluidity found in the region's classical painting. And I think the thing that resonated most with me was when she talks about how uh, the project explores the concepts of folklore invoking uh, mythological imagery, keyword there, imagery of dragons, phoenix, flowers, and mountains. You know, I just think that that's something that is incredible. And even with a thousand and twenty-four pieces, you start to see the uniqueness in her algorithm. And this particular project, I think, absolutely embodies the the brilliance of of that intent. I mean, it, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I find it really interesting that she brings this imagery in because, as I mentioned earlier, it feels like there's a lot of images that remind you of something and tug at your brain to make you think, "Well, did I just see?" 
something in nature. And I think that imagery has probably been around for a very long time. I would guess centuries, if not longer, within East Asian mythology and uh, art. And so I think borrowing from those makes a ton of sense. It's uh, obviously a homage to her background being uh, Asian American. And so I think it's, it's really cool from that standpoint. And uh, Jared, would you like to cue the video now or should we set that up for later? Okay, yeah. So we have a video that was from Proof Grails season two. Uh, Emily was in that and we'll talk about that uh, towards the end of the episode and sort of the opportunities and ways to collect section. And uh, this video, she talks a little bit about her inspiration, how she thinks about her craft. And we think it's really useful for you to take a look at this. And you can find this on the Proof uh, YouTube channel. So let's, let's take a listen. Hello, I'm Emily Shia. I am a generative artist. Usually my work is entirely algorithmic, entirely made with code. For this season of Grails, I wanted to explore my own algorithms through a different lens. I've been working a lot recently with generative textures and papers and this concept of generative collage. I thought it'd be fun to turn to a manual process and do the real life collage. That's why this piece is called Away from Keyboard. I printed generative textures and patterns of mine onto sheets of paper. Many of these patterns are from memories of Chilin. But I also decided to let my hands work the way they wanted to and let myself create new motifs that I still intuitively felt were in the spirit of my code. To touch them and cut into them and work with them in that way is a pretty fascinating experience for me. Blurring the lines between the algorithmic and the physical, manually reenacting my own algorithms and getting to know them in a more intimate sense. Here it is. So, yeah, I, I really love this video because I think it gives you a window into how thoughtful Emily is as she approaches her art, which shouldn't be surprising. Uh, from my understanding, she's a full-time artist. And uh, I think that is something that, you know, one of the reasons why we love generative art and long-form generative art, which uh, I'll define is when you have a larger collection size. So it's not, you know, something that's 10 pieces or even a one of one, it's meant to be a larger collection size. So long form generative art, uh, I think really you can tell once you dig into it that a lot of technical prowess and a lot of thought goes into it. And so, yeah, so we just wanted to highlight that to you. And in terms of the, the history of this collection, you know, I haven't been able to find too many of Emily's prior works that might point towards techniques and styles that had led to this. Uh, Jay Paws, were you able to find much on that? No, I, I haven't, honestly. Gotcha. Well, no worries. You know, we are hoping to chat with Emily and hopefully we'll get some more info. And uh, the next episode we do on a deep dive of some of her work, we can we can fill in that. But why don't we go ahead and move on to our general framework for looking over collections. So a lot of people ask us, how do we pick which collections to do deep dives on? And uh, generally speaking, it is collections that we think are top quality and have a chance of uh, standing the test of time. And so there are seven things we look at to evaluate this. First is aesthetics, or you know, does it pass your eye test? The second is the artists themselves. The third is the holders. Who are the holders? Are they influential, et cetera? What, the fourth is the sentiment that was around the collection. The fifth is the actual breadth of the collection. So as I was saying with long-form generative art, uh, it's, it's this balance between having each piece be very unique, but the collection as a whole feeling cohesive. And so that in and of itself is a skill. Um, this, the sixth thing we look at is historic significance, or do we think this collection could have historic significance? And the seventh, of course, is what, what is the price action telling us? So I know that's a mouthful. We'll dive in. First one is uh, the aesthetics and visuals. Uh, Jared and I touched on this a little bit. I think the aesthetics and the visuals of this collection are quite stunning. Uh, I'm just going to hop over to Archipelago for those listening on audio only. Archipelago is a art-focused exchange, similar to OpenSea, but really art-focused. And you can see here that the visuals are 
quite striking. And uh, to me, it's my favorite part of this collection, even though the collection excels in other ways as well. Jay Paws, I know you and I talk about this a lot, so I'll uh, love to hear you give your thoughts on the visuals. The visuals are, to me, absolutely stunning. Like you said, the the use of patterning and the way it, it gets layered in amongst uh, other colors in the background is absolutely stunning. I think it's it's unique. The, the way it gets presented as a result and output of the algorithm is just beautiful. And even the fact that they're, you know, so some of the collections we look at have a, a number of different palettes. This one only has 15, even for such a large collection, and yet it feels so much more varied than just 15 palettes. So I think it's absolutely stunning. And, and the output in which is created is, is a testament to not only the, the collection's collectability and the, the people integrated into it, but also, you know, as you scroll, just the, the beauty and, and the way the shapes start to not only hug each other, but really play off of one another. It, it's, a, it's an amazing little dance that they have. Right, right. Absolutely. And so from the aesthetics, from the eye test, trust your eye. I think you'll find something for sure that you like here. And the second part that we look at is the artist itself. And, you know, we told you a bunch about Emily. I'll give you my take real fast. In addition to being very thoughtful and sharing in the open, she is engaging and quite available. She's in multiple discords. Uh, she is busy, of course, but she takes the time to get back to you. She engages on Twitter and she also seems very charismatic in real life. I haven't met her, but that's what I've heard. And so those are all positives for an artist who, you know, will do right by their early collectors and uh, has a chance of continuing to produce great work and continuing to be relevant in the future. And what are your thoughts on Emily as an artist, j Paz? I mean, you stole some of the words right out of my mouth, honestly. Like the the charismatic, thoughtful, and engaging. It's the same sentiment. I mean, on multiple occasions, you know, I've been in her specific channel on Artblocks Discord, and not only is she responding to to me, but to the entire community with questions about the project, about her other projects. I mean, she she is thoughtful as an understatement. Meaning, I, I think she's more than generous with her time. And I think it's one of those unquantifiable things that really creates the and the, the connection to the artwork and the fanaticism around it that you start to see in the collectorship. I really, really admire her commitment to the community. And it's something that I think is a differentiator amongst her, her peers. She's, she's incredible when it comes to connecting with people in the community. So uh, hats off to her for that. Absolutely. And shameless plug, we would love to have you on the podcast one day, Emily. I'm going to throw that out there for everybody that I want on you. <laughs> Anytime. We talk about anything, but we have ideas. Okay. So then the third thing we look at, who are the holders? Uh, J-Paws, any, uh, you know, do you feel like you've seen influential people, uh, which could be collectors, other artists uh, who are holding this project? So there's four that really come to mind, in my opinion. Um, as far as holders go, I think the, the two who have been most supportive and vocal about it are DC Investor and Bob Lucas. Uh, they're, they're, their bags run deep with memories, but they've also been very strategic with their acquisition. It, it's incredible what they, they've amassed and just the, and, and one of the things that DC always said is that the beauty of these is like amongst the pallets, how they play well together. If you've noticed, she's been buying pallets in series of three. So that way, like they can, they can present well. It's, it's absolutely stunning the way it works. And then outside of collectors, the two that resonate most with me is Curated was a big uh, holder of some early work when they first released. And then uh, I mean, it might, might not be relevant. We'll see how well this one actually goes. But, you know, the Starry Night Capital Fund, you know, the 3AC affiliation, they picked up some really rare flocks and, and other pieces early on. So, you know, the, the fact that... Uh, Collectors are looking at it for the beauty and collectability, and then these funds are looking at it from uh, collectability and investment. It, it's it's had a deep resonance with me, and and that's not to to short anybody. I guess if I were to add a fifth, you know, there's Virgil.eth. He's done a really good job at amassing like an intrepid collection. You know, people have these these resonance with certain palettes and and compositions, but I mean, it, it's there's so many options on how to collect this project. It's it's really really exciting to to watch 
not only from my own perspective, but from the sidelines as others amass a collection. Absolutely. Well, well put. J-Paws came very prepared today. I was only going to add one person that is uh, an artist who is Thomas Lynn Peterson, who is the uh, artist behind Screens, amongst others, another generative art, art blocks project. And I actually just got Nansen today playing around with it. But I, oh, I'm sorry. So for the people who are watching online, I am uh, pulling up Nansen and going to their one of their sub tabs that allows you to see who holds uh, how many of these NFTs. And you can see here the highest holder has 26 memories. DC Investor, who you mentioned, has 19. Flamingo has 25. Thomas Peterson has 14. So uh, really, uh, Blockbird, who's another great collector, has 10. So a lot of uh, really influential and uh, sort of diamond-handed smart collectors have collected this. So another good sign. So let's move on to the next thing we think about is uh, sentiment. Uh, I'm going to defer to you on this one, Jay Paz, because you were around for this launch. Sentiment-wise, how did you find this collection? So from right out from the release, you could tell there was something special, in my opinion. And it's part of the reason it's one of the first projects I decided to submit or commit a, a substantial amount of ETH to uh, for my own reasons, not only to collect, but to, for uh, targeting sales at a later date. I mean, the sentiment was so positive. It was, it was incredible. And Emily was, like I said, in the Discord, engaging with the fans and collectors as people were buying pieces and, and really advocating for them. She was there the, the whole time. So it, and it was, you know, we started to notice, like, you just rattled off all these big collections. Flamingo actually went under my radar because they used all those uh, ghost wallets so much. I didn't realize they were such a, a big holder. But, I mean, huge collectors are buying right from the start. And you mentioned Thomas Lee Peterson. I mean, I, I'll never forget when we'll talk about it later on, but he made a big purchase right out the gate when the floor was about one ETH. And I'm trying to, like, scrape together, you know, a, a deal off the floor. And he went in with this huge buy which felt huge at the time. And, you know, you start to just realize the the commitment, not only from collectors, but such an accomplished artist, such as Thomas and and buying a piece that just had like a, and I remember everybody in this for being like, Oh my God, that thing's brilliant. It's so amazing. So, um, you know, it, it, the sentiment has been, hasn't really stopped. I mean, there's been an ebb and flow to, to buying. And I think it largely reflects the nature of the, the NFT and, right now but overall you know you see dc go in and all of a sudden there's a run up you see a couple others go in and there's a run up so it's stayed in good standing in my opinion throughout the entirety of the collection it's very impressive the staying power it shows i agree i think the sentiment has continued to stay there a lot of collectors that i respect have said that they believe that this is the best art blocks curated we've had in 2022 which is saying a lot. So I think that the sentiment has continued to trend and I should say stay in a direction that gives me good feelings about this collection longer term. The, the fifth thing that we mentioned in our checklist is collection breadth. Uh, I won't belabor the point. You'll see there's a huge amount of variety in this collection, but it still feels cohesive and each individual piece is great. So you'll see that as we go through. The sixth thing we look at is historic significance. So the thinking behind this is that collections that have some kind of provenance, uh, or they put it in layman's terms, collections that kick off a trend tend to draw draw attention back to that collection. The quintessential example is probably Chromie Squiggles, which really popularized this idea of a randomized mint uh, for a generative art project, which is part of the reason why Squiggles are so sought after. They're considered very historic. In terms of historic significance for memories, it's a little bit too early to say. We are sitting here at the end of August. This was launched towards the end of March. So we haven't even been six months in. Uh, but I would say that this collection is unique in the long-form generative art space. Uh, we mentioned some of the unique characteristics and features that Emily incorporated, uh, both the, the way that the colors mix that feel more like they come from an East Asian background, the shapes themselves, the use of patterns, within segments rather than just having blocks of colors. So I don't know yet, but I would not be surprised if we see further collections start to imitate this collection. 
curious to hear your take on the potential historic significance. Jay Paz, anything that you would add or change there? I will add some, but you know, you, you, we're always aligned on a lot of this and I, I think it has a ton of potential. It, it, as you indicate, I think it's still a little too early, but one of the things that just has a deep resonance with me is it's broad range of outputs while still honoring some clear rarity, but more than anything, it just has such a distinct style, uh, almost like nothing I've seen in the generative art world to date. So I'm, I'm optimistic about it. And I think that uh, if anything, it definitely has some clear potential to, to be a front runner for that historical significance. It's a great project, in my opinion. Absolutely. So time will tell and we'll follow along with this. But so far, things are trending in the right direction. And so the last thing on why this collection is let's let's look at some numbers and see if the numbers back up what we are saying. And uh, spoiler alert, they do. So we're here on Article, for those following on audio, article.io. will be in our show notes as well as everything else we talk about. And uh, you can go to the analytics tab and see some general trends for this collection. First thing is on the top left here, the daily selling price. And what I want you, you know, don't worry so much about the fluctuations. The key is that this daily selling price continues to rise, uh, both in Ethereum terms and in US dollar terms, importantly, because the Ethereum US dollar price has shifted quite a bit. Then this next chart to the right is daily listing prices. The light green is the floor. The darker green is the median daily listing price. And again, that is uh, trending up in Ethereum terms and pretty stable in US dollar terms. For folks who are used to looking at charts, you can kind of see a floor forming here that seems like around ten dollars to $15,000. Now, we don't know if that'll change. Floor prices fluctuate a lot. The macro conditions matter. The Ethereum US dollar price matters. So I wouldn't necessarily hang your hat on that. The, the key point here is that it is continuing to rise and go up and to the right, which we like to see. Next, the chart I want to show you right below here is this one in green that's daily listings volume. And it's important to see that the number of pieces listed are dropping over time, which it has been which it really represents essentially diamond-handed people no longer being willing to sell these pieces and wanting to hold. And of course, it's less than a year in. So for US-based folks and probably in other countries, around a year, people will sell stuff. But generally speaking, I, I really like this trend. So I would say that the numbers back up what we've been hearing from other people and some of the other analysis we've done here on this collection as a whole. So Without further ado, let us dive into the collection itself. So what we're going to do now is go through the different categories that result in the various visual outputs of this collection. And we are going to highlight the categories that either are result in a visual, clear visual distinction, which is the most important thing to highlight. Then we'll also look at categories where there is a price difference or where the collectors have prefer to pay more and those that have the statistical rarity, although we'll just kind of touch on those. And in this case, there are no other categories in the collection that are not represented, but in some cases there will be, and we would highlight those. For each of these categories, we're going to first describe them and then jump over to article and show you if there are any price differences that are worth looking at. And so in this case, there are four categories in Memories of Chilin. And actually, I'm going to, just going to jump over to Archipelago to show you. So there is complexity, of which there are three, composition type, of which there are four traits, palette, which of which there are 15, as Jared mentioned earlier, and splotches, which is a binary yes or no. So why don't we go ahead and start with complexity? And complexity, do you want me to take this one, Jared? Yeah, please. Okay. So complexity. So th this is a subtle uh, visual distinction in that it seems to influence the, the number of curves and twists and interactions you see within the piece. So on the far right here, we have the mirror palette, a uh, set of which is the gray background. And uh, the mirror palette, if you look on the far right, this is high complexity and there's lots of turns and intermixings with the colors and patterns. Whereas low complexity, there's a little bit less of that. And if you scroll down here and we see, again, low on the left, medium on the right. For those on audio, we are back in our DECA gallery. 
please follow along there. And this is the velvet palette, a set of the red background within the velvet palette. And you can see how there's way more undulations and turns here in the high complexity compared to the low complexity. But uh, in terms of statistical rarity, low complexity is 12% of the collection. Medium complexity is 25% and the rest are high. So in this, for this category, there are some statistical rarities and there are some visual differences, but for the most part, it hasn't translated into any sort of floor price difference other than the, these, low these low complexity ones are concentrated within the flock composition type, which we'll get to. So uh, now hopped over to Archipelago. If you filter by low complexity, you'll see that of the 130, 102 of them are flock and 28 are sweep composition types. So that's probably the most important thing to know. We won't belabor the point. And uh, let's head over to composition, which does actually make quite a bit of a difference. So Jared, let's talk composition. Composition is my favorite out of uh, all the categories. Not that there's a tremendous amount to look at here, but uh, the first composition type is sweep. There's 769 of them, which represents roughly 75% of the collection. You know, I look at these, and, and for everybody who's watching, again, we're on DECA, and as T goes across these, we'll have the flock on the left offset uh, next, followed by sweep, and then focal. So, you know, the, the sweeps, to me, have a good amount of flow. They're also appropriately sized for the panel, and, and I'd, we'll, we'll kind of touch on that next, but they, they fit comfortably inside the the panel. They they have a general uh, presence amongst it, and but the flow is you know, it, it's it, I think it honors the intent of kind of that mythological I'll call it, part of the algorithm. They, they vary a little bit in size and presence amongst the the panel, but overall, I think they're they're a very playful palette. Where things start to get really interesting is when you then drop to the next rarest, there's a there's a big drop-off, meaning is the offsets. And there's 129 of these, which represents roughly 12% of the collection. So sweep clearly is the majority at, at three quarters of the project. Offset to me has more of a zoomed in appearance. There, there's a, a higher degree of emphasis on the, the patterns and colors in it. It really has a, it fills up the panel almost in its entirety. And you get really, really intimate, in my opinion, with the the patterns that show up. They, they, they play a little bit more of a prominent, we'll call it position, within within the, the identity of the, the art. The third is focal. And focal is 102 and represent, or there's 102 focals and they represent roughly 10% of the overall collection. I characterize these as having a little bit of a smaller graphic that's generally focused, or like hence the focused, focused on the center of the of the art. You can see the one that's up on screen is 297. It's a really brilliant application of it. Uh, you can see the more condensed patterning, but also the the centered nature, both the in the X and Y axes. They are rarer with uh, being less than 10%, but you know, the, the the patterning that became so prominent in the offsets now becomes, you know, very condensed and almost the, the patterning is, is complementary. And then the rarest of all of the compositions is flock. And this only represents 24 of the overall pieces of art in the, in the collection. So that's 2%, definitely the most rare by far. I characterize these as having like a tighter patterning than the sweep, but they, this is a non-technical term, but they seem to have more of an erratic flow across the art pieces. And to me, these come out as absolutely stunning. They don't seem to have as much of the uh, the rules that are imposed upon them. And uh, you can find some that are, you know, taking up the entire a piece of art and others that are a little bit more sparse, but they, they generally have that um, tighter patterning and, and greater flow. So they're rare being 2% of the collection. So very ill, Ill frequently 
come up for for sale. Ironically, today one was just sold. The Bob, he picked one up, but it you know these are beautiful, absolutely stunning. Absolutely. And before we hop over to article to look at some of the prices, I I just want to reiterate what Jay Paws is saying. So these are ordered this way on purpose. And just to help you as you go through, think about which style you like. The way that I think about the flock, we'll look at this Blood Moon palette. You almost get a a grouping of brush strokes. If you imagine somebody were doing this by hand and then it kind of coalesces and then diffuses and then coalesces in different parts. And I think of offset and it's generally centered within the palette, but you have these groupings of strokes here. Whereas with offset, it's you know not necessarily centered on the palette, but you have a big like a, a glob of uh, all sorts of activity. And I just want to zoom in for a second. I, I think people should take the time to really zoom in and see how detailed these patterns are. And there are multiple patterns, layers of layers on them, creating these images, which I think is really interesting and worth diving into just to see the, the intricacies of this project. And then, so this is offset and sweep is again, centered, but more kind of broad brush strokes. Whereas I feel like focal is tighter, like Jay Paws was saying. So just to reiterate that really quickly. Hello, everybody. Sorry for that delay. We had some technical issues, but we are back and we are over here on article to take a look at floor price differences for the composition type. And as you can see over here, the focal composition type of which there are 102 has commands the highest floor price. And if we take a look at that, you can see that as this loads, what you'll see is that there are not very many of them listed at all, which explains the high floor price. And uh, I would say this is probably one of the more popular ones. Right now, there are seven listed. And the reason I bring up how many are listed is because Flock, of which there are only 24, so by far the most rare, has a lower floor price. Uh, however, I, I think that Flock still commands a premium for the most part. And in this case, there's just one seller who is trying to sell at 10. Uh, if you go and look, uh, the next one up is 20, and then the next one is 100, and I believe that's it right now. So uh, the floor price is a little bit deceptive here in terms of which of the composition types the collectors prefer the most. Uh, and then you can see here offset and sweep are, are roughly near the floor. And you know we'll, we'll go into what that means in terms of potential opportunities near the end of the episode. But let us move on to palette. And uh, actually, I should say side note that you'll see here there are a couple, uh, and we're back on our DECA gallery. Uh, under some of the pieces, we have titles. And uh, these are just different things that these various pieces reminded us of. So here, I thought this looked like a yin and a yang. Um, called it Earth, given the colors here. Uh, actually, this is mislabeled. Sorry. The uh, blast off is this focal here on the right, which which looks like a rocket ship to me. So you'll see more of those throughout the deck of gallery. And that's why I just wanted to point it out. But let's jump into palette. There are 15 palettes. And in terms of rarity, Vermilion Bird, which we'll show you, is the most rare. There are only 11 of those. Uh, the next most rare is Smoke and Fire, of which there are 32. And then there's sort of a, a steady rise up to uh, 111. So, uh, you know, there are some more or less rare palettes in this collection. And uh, some of that follows price. Uh, Vermilion Bird does hold the price premium for being more rare, which we'll show you in a second. But I think for the most part, it doesn't quite follow that. I think people tend to buy what they like. And part of the reason for that is because the palettes have a range of backgrounds. And so I'll, I'll sneak ahead here. And here is the Porcelain Vase palette, which is one of my favorites. I love blues. But you can see here on the far left, uh, this one, which I've called Kingfisher, which is number 509, has a really dark blue palette where uh, background, sorry, to the palette. Whereas on the far right here, uh, this one, number 290, as it loads here in a second, has a light blue palette. Uh, and well, you can see that without it loading over here. And so actually at the very bottom of this, we're gonna scroll down a deck of gallery really fast. The very end of our gallery, we listed out uh, some extras. So you have a list of background colors in each palette and they kind of go through here. So I'll, I'll let you all read that uh, when you have a chance. But uh, this allows for a lot of really interesting collectability within this collection itself. So 
this porcelain vase, my favorite, Smoke and Fire. This is uh, yours, Jay Paz. Tell us about Smoke and Fire. Smoke and Fire is my favorite by far. I just think that the the bold circular print that appears on here is um, has such an, an amazing presence amongst it. And then the blending of other patternings and colors between like the earthy, I'll call it tans and grays. It, it just gets to be, and I think it's well-received by collectors also. I was actually going through article myself, and I don't think there's been a sale on a smoke and fire since June. And it has nothing to do with nobody liking them. There just aren't any listed on there. You know, people like myself uh, are holding on to them and, and not listing them. So I think that this one is absolutely amazing the way you, you have that earthy tone. And then, like I said, that pattern pops. I mean, then there's other complementary patterns in there. You, you see it on the the two to the right that you have on screen with Deca. There's a little bit more of a muted circular red color and the way it complements just the everything is stunning to me. Right. And what Jay Paws is talking about is how this pattern here in the top left of this piece is uh, different from this pattern that's back here. And so there's quite a bit of variety even within the patterning, which is really interesting and it could be ways to collect against this. And the next palette I wanted to show is Hong Bao. Again, just love the colors, the way they interact. And, you know, some of them have this yellow background and the pattern itself is yellow. So really interesting ways that those are combined. And uh, a favorite of Jay Paws's here is the Intrepid palette, which again, really, really intricate. This is an interesting one also because of the variety of colors that are in here. And the variety of backgrounds, you have a dark red all the way to sort of this, uh, let's call it like an off-white uh, color there. And the last palette that we wanted to highlight to you all was the Vermilion Bird palette. Uh, you know, it's actually not either one of our favorites, but it is very rare. So we wanted to show it here and, and highlight it. And uh, let's jump over to the article and take a look at palettes in this case, unselect flock. So the charts update. And if you look at palettes, uh, these are ordered by floor price. You can see here that the Vermilion Bird floor is 33. And uh, there is some separation. So the Mira, Porcelain Vase, Dragon Dance, Intrepid Palettes uh, really doesn't seem to be correlated to the amount of pieces in these palettes. As you can see, all of these have nearly 100 pieces. Uh, but those have the higher floor price. And uh, down here at the bottom, you see smoke and fire that Jay Paws was talking about, none for sale. That's largely been locked up. In this collection, I would say there are a few palettes where you might say, let me go ahead and buy this because this palette is rare and holds a premium. But for the most part, I think that this collection is really about finding individual pieces that speak to you. And in some ways, that's nice. Uh, this is a collection where I think there would be a, a fat middle of tons and tons of items that are closely priced together and very few in the tails where in some collections you see the, the range of prices and the range of outputs being quite larger. Uh, in this case, I don't think that that is the case for this collection. Okay, let's move on to the last category, uh, which is a quick one, splotches. Uh, you want to describe splotches here, Jay Paws? Yeah, splotches, as you can see on screen, refers to almost like a, a water mark or a mark as if a, a water had uh, seeped into the piece of paper over time uh, and created almost a watermark imprint versus what you see on screen as more of a pure type of paper that that, that blocking would have been printed on. So the, the blotches give it, I think, that very rustic an aged look almost like it's, it's seen a lot and i even like how the one you can see on screen here the blotches spill over into the border i mean it, it's agnostic to any of the visual borders and it, it just creates the a really cool dynamic to the art yeah it adds another layer and, and i will say i don't think that these were showcased very how to put this it's not very in your face in this collection. I only started noticing them after I dug into it and I like them. It adds some texture and some character. I'd be curious to see if Emily incorporates this in her future works and makes this a little bit more prominent. It would be cool to see. I, I do enjoy them. There are about 30% of the pieces have splotches. 
and there's no price premium so far. I don't think collectors have uh, found this to be something necessarily that they would pay more for or collect against. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to really influence collectability, but aesthetically, I think it is a it's a nice touch. Absolutely, absolutely, and probably my favorite part of this collection. So let let's now go over to where we think there are opportunities or potential alpha. And so we'll start with undervalued categories and traits. And these are not categories or traits, but I think this is important to take a look at. So we've alluded to this a bunch. This is a collection where a ton of emergent properties come up. And by that, we mean uh, things in the metadata that could influence collectability. And in this case, intentionally, as Emily mentioned, there's a lot of imagery that suggests creatures, uh, a lot of these mythical creatures in East Asian culture, but in general, uh, a lot of creatures come up. And people have been doing this all the time. One of Jay Paz's uh, grails of the collection, one of his top three of the collection is one of these emergent behaviors. And as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're pointing them all out. And so we've compiled nine of them here that we like. Here you can see the duck, as we call it, and we've listed out which palette they're in. And as you all go through and take a look at this, I want you to notice that a lot of these have the sweep composition, which is the most common composition, 75% of the collection. So if you were collecting just purely based on statistical rarity, you would miss some of these really cool outputs. Uh, and uh, also there's a range of palettes that these come in. These are, you'll see a lot, a lot of them are in different palettes. And we think that this is a way that you can collect and potentially something that's uh, undervalued. Uh, one of, one of my favorites of the collection I bought nearly at the floor and has one of these emergent properties. And so I think that this could be a really interesting way to collect. And what we would love is for uh, you all, our audience, to send us ones you like. And we'll just keep building up this deck of gallery, adding to you know whatever title you want to give it. And we'll give you credit for it, your Twitter name, your Discord handle, whatever. And we'll put them up here and keep growing it. I think it'd be a lot of fun to, to see what people see in these images. Jay Paz, do you, do you have any particular favorites with these emergent properties? I know uh, a couple of these were ones that you had put out to put up on the gallery. I mean, my favorite one is in my grails, which we'll touch on. But the you know the hummingbird, obviously, I'm a little bit biased towards the smoke and fire. You know, one of the emergent ones I've also tried or I've found is I feel like there are also images of like a warrior. You know, taking it back to that. Uh, mythological and then i believe i found a couple in the intrepid and um poppy field that are have a dragon-esque type appearances so you know kind of you know like that that the psychological test of the ink blotches you start to you stare at these long enough and you start to see images it's just been a kind of a fun way to to connect inadvertently with with the project Absolutely, the the Roshark test. So what you see might might uh, might be a reflection of your psychology. I, I will tell you, this one right here is my favorite. I call it Leviathan. I kind of see two dragons meeting up here, or maybe one. And uh, I think I also like it because it's a flock composition, which is the most rare one. And I didn't see too many Im images in the flock composition. Speaking of Intrepid, I love this pigeon one. Intrepid is one of J-Paws' favorite palettes. And I, I concur on that. So other than these uh, emergent properties, any other opportunities that you want to highlight, J-Paz, or that you think might be relatively undervalued traits? Or yeah, we've touched on it a few times. I think that as the, the collectability and awareness of the project starts to come a little bit more prevalent, I think one of the things that I'm looking at is that color background. You know, in the, the Blood Moon we discussed there's two different color backgrounds. One is red and one is blue. Blue ends up being uh, a little bit more rare with, I believe, about one third of the, the background color versus two thirds with red. So I think that there's a really interesting dynamic. And, you know, when I was uh, chatting with Emily in the Artblocks Discord, it was actually put into the code to have this. So you know, Pete talked about it. I think that there's a, a really big alpha that if you're willing to dig into it, the, the background colors that he 
outlines uh, for every single palette. I mean, Pete, you did so much of the the heavy lifting for everybody. Yeah, at the bottom. Yeah, I show it here. Yeah, but I mean, it's there, right? Like, so if you start doing the the heavy lift to to find, you know, which ones are more rare, I think that there's going to be some collectability in the future that pertains to that. You know, it's a little bit nuanced, to, but it doesn't show up in rarity guides and all that. The other thing that I've been really digging into myself is I'll call it the rarity amongst palettes. And the example I use for this is even though the offset is roughly 12% rare across the entire collection, within the smoke and fire specifically, there's only two, which represents 6% of the, 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 the smoke and fire collection. So that's a, a nuanced piece where the the rarity, I would argue is actually rarer than the published rarity of like a 12% offset. So there's there's a couple of the little nuggets like that along the way. But by and large, you know, two that I'm really looking at are offsets. I mean, offsets, if you look at the the quantity of offsets versus the quantity of, you know, focals, you know, indiscernible really, just 20 pieces. But yet the pricing on it, I mean, the the community has definitely taken to Flux, which didn't have a resonance with me, per se. That's why I unloaded all my Flux early. You mean fo- Focals, right? Focals, Focals, sorry. Sorry, Focals. And those those Focals, you can see right here, the, the floor price relative to of a Focal relative to the floor of the project is almost 3x versus the, the offset, which is similar rarity. And yet you know, only like 20, 30% off of the floor right now. So I think that there's a real disparity there. Uh, and over the long term, I, w- I would hope to see some leveling of that as uh, as time goes on. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, I understand some people don't find the... I'm scrolling back on our DECA gallery because I, I want to show you how sets can be made here. Uh, some people find that the offsets are, uh, well, I guess a little bit too offset for them. But I wanted to highlight a few of these because I think that these sets look amazing. So purposefully, when we were showing off these palettes, you'll see here, this is a flock on the far left. And kind of how we talked about it, it's diffuse in areas, but kind of takes up the whole palette. This is an offset. It's not really centered and clumped together. This is a sweep and this is a focal. And why do I bring this up? Because I think that people will start building sets around this. Uh, Another set that is cool is here. You can see a set of the forest palette with a brown background. Again, we have a flock, an offset, a sweep, and a focal. And in that way, when people are trying to build sets, I think that they would appreciate having an offset. You know, you, you need that to complete your set. And I think in that way, people would be willing to pay more for them as they build these sets. Now, I, I can't say that's happened in, by, in a great manner so far, uh, but I could see that happening. And so I see that as an opportunity as well in the offsets. And other than that, I don't see a huge opportunity. You know, we kind of looked over the prices versus the pallets, and we mentioned the other two trades, complexity and splotches, don't really command a price premium. And so I think those are the main hidden traits. And, and uh, the other thing to talk about, Jay Paz, uh, before we get to your top picks of the collection, sorry, teasing folks here on the video, what are some other collections, other opportunities that may not be related directly to memories, but more so to Emily that folks can find? So the it's a little known project, or at least I feel it's little known and not as collected per se, but... There's Morphology, which was her block art collection. And I find these to be an opportunity for maybe somebody looking to get in and show Emily some support. And I say that as the floor on it right now is about just under 0.2 ETH. So when we're talking about, uh, you know, as of today, 831-2022, Memories is at four and a half ETH floor versus 0.2. It's a considerably uh, easier entry point. And I think that you can start to see her her way of playing around with different palettes. So I think that that's a really interesting way to, to get integrated into uh, the ecosystem. 
And for people watching on video, uh, we have OpenSea up with morphology. We'll link to this to the show notes. There are tons here below half an ether. So if, and this is Emily's first long form generative project. So if you want a part of that, uh, it is a definitely a lower price point, still not cheap, but much more, uh, much less than memories. Yeah. It presents an intriguing entry point. And, and then, you know, yesterday, 8.30, Emily teased uh, a tweet about uh, a new project coming out. So, you know, definitely something to look forward to. Yeah. And it looks like uh, jumping into her Twitter profile, uh, it looks like there this is going to be something having to do in New York. If you see here, she talks about this show that's coming to the Javits Center September 9th to 11th. There's an image of a piece here, and it looks like to be the same collection based on the way that these these uh, images look. So I, I'm not sure how to get into that. I don't know any details. I'm trying to figure it out myself, uh, just finding out about this today. So we we will see. And so let us hop back to our DECA gallery. J-Paws, uh, your, your top three picks of the collection. Top three. So going from... Uh... My number one to my number three, starting on the left, is number 808, what I call the lion owned by Thomas Lynn Peterson. It's a smoke and fire. If you look at this thing, you can see a roaring lion with his head facing left on towards the screen. You can see his jaws wide open and, and teeth coming out. I mean, it is just one of those brilliant moments of gen art uh, and, a, and an unintended output. but. This thing is so beautiful. Like I said, I saw the sale and my jaw dropped. I, I couldn't imagine somebody paid 5X the floor for it. And then looking back on it, I'm uh, I'm jealous that I didn't uh, have the courage to do it. I mean, it, it's just, I think this is the, the most brilliant piece uh, within the collection. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah, this is widely considered, uh, I would say, top three within the collection, if not number one. And I chose... The second one is it's number 646. Uh, and I chose this largely because to me, this also embodies the, the brilliance of the, the project. This is a Hong Bao uh, sweep. So in theory, nothing statistically crazy rare, but it's got that yellow background, which is the rare of the backgrounds. And the way the patterning looks on it, it just reminds me of a floral setting in a vase. It, it just... As you alluded to earlier, the yellow in the patterning, the way it pops off that yellow background, it is just absolutely beautiful to me. And again, one of the reasons why we always encourage everybody to sort through it, not through a collection and not just look at the statistical rarity, because something like this, if it were to come up, uh, you know, and you could catch it close to the floor, I think is a, a win all day long. Absolutely. Last but not least is 694. Uh, you can see my infatuation with Spoken Fire. This is the flock. So I call this one of one of X, meaning there's only one flock within the Spoken Fire. And this, as I spoke about earlier, had a deep resonance with me because that the circular red pattern just seems to meander through the piece and pop out at distinct times, almost creating a, a very vibrant background for for the rest of the piece to to have its moment on. It's it's absolutely beautiful, uh, and I hope to, because this is part of the Starry Nights collection, to potentially have an opportunity at it later on. Yes, yes. Don't we all want a shot at that collection, not just their memories, but everything else? And uh, for those watching on video, I'm zooming in on this because I just keep coming back to look at how many patterns there are. There's one, two, three, four, let's see, there's five six, I think six different patterns all within the same palette, within the same piece. And we didn't get into this, but you could probably collect along which palettes are there. And by the way, I think this middle one of yours, uh, j Paz, is held by Flamingo based on that little tag there. I'll never have that opportunity then. Yes, probably not. Uh, uh, but, you know, what are you going to do? The, hopefully there'll be more. <laughs> so my three, uh, the first one on the left here is number 150. This is a, uh, what I call tsunami. I don't know why it just really reminds me of waves. And this is a porcelain vase palette with a high complexity flock type. So the rarest type being flock. 
My second one is one of those emergent properties. It's actually held by me. So full disclosure, I call it ephemeral warhorse. Uh, this is the one that was near the floor. And I was surprised. Uh, actually, Emily has even uh, highlighted this one before. I forget where I want to say maybe on Instagram or something. I saw it, but this just looks like a horse to me. The head over here, look into the left. And it looks like there's a bunch of stuff on it, which makes me think, you know, maybe it has armor, it's going into battle. But I call it ephemeral because like most of these images that you quote unquote see in this collection, it, there's part of your mind that says, wait, is it there or not? Although my last one over here, oh, I'm sorry, uh, ephemeral warhorse is uh, number 887. And this is a sea dune palette and the sweep composition type. So again, the most common composition type metadata wise, not very rare. The last one over here on the right is what I call Feather. This is number 160. This is probably the second most famous piece behind the lion that Jay Paws was talking about. This is a focal composition type mirror palette. So somewhat rare in the fact that it's focal, but not crazy rare. But it really just looks like a bird that just took off and left a couple of feathers behind, which I think is super cool. Um, it, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's an awesome one. It, if you can find that near the floor, get it. But uh, it's it's not going to happen, realistically speaking. So uh, now on to our favorite part, the segment where we get to spend some fake money. Uh, J-Paws, you got you got fifty ether. What are you buying? Well, I'm jumping to the big boy category right out the gate. I'm doing five twenty one for thirty three ETH, which is the only vermilion bird on. Um, up for sale at this point with there only being 11 of them it's the most statistically rare piece even more so than any composition i just think it's gonna knowing who has collected them and probably never coming to market i would have to to buy this hold on to it all right you got 17 left <laughs> the next one would be number 458 which is the flock at 10 eth right now i'm surprised it's been available uh, for this long it's not necessarily the most uh, intriguing of the flocks, but you know, I still think that uh, given that it's a flock at 10 ETH, 2X the floor is a, a no-brainer for me. And I'll go a little bit over budget, but jump into 653, which is a offset in that blood moon blue background. I, I mean, the fact that this thing's sitting at six and a half right now, I am beyond myself as to, to how this thing is still there. But I think it's, it's got a unique composition. I love it. Uh, and I think that an offset that close to the floor with the rare blue background is a no-brainer. Yeah, friends, uh, the offset, again, is one that we think is relatively undervalued. There are only 129 of them. And that one is six ether, so less than one and a half times the floor. Might be able to get it for less. So relatively undervalued. All right. I like I like the picks, J Paws. I'm gonna do a couple things. First of all, I'm gonna double down on this offset conviction. I think that they are undervalued and interesting and abstract. I love this one over here, number 465 for 11. This one is a velvet offset. And if you'll recall, velvet is actually relatively rare as it goes in terms of palettes. Only five offsets, velvet, and 43 in general. So looking at, uh, as we're looking at Archipelago and continuing, so I'm picking that one up for 11. I am also picking up this uh, porcelain vase offset for 13 because I love porcelain vase. So now I'm up to, we'll call it halfway. I'm, I'm about 25 in. And then uh, I, I'm picking up a lot of lower, let's call it lower priced items. Uh, so I'm 25 in, I'm picking up this guy, number 654. Uh, this is one of the emergent properties that's a crab. So now I am at uh, 30. And for my last 20, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab that other flock. I really like this forest flock. I think it's actually really, really nice. Uh, and to be the only really other flock available, I would definitely jump on that one. Nicely done. Uh, all right. So uh, any any parting thoughts here, j Paws? Parting thoughts. I think that this collection is is more dynamic than just the, the categories and statistical rarity indicates. I think that with it being Emily's kind of breakout 
with art blocks, it presents an oppor- uh, opportunity for collectability that, you know, some, as you said, really dynamic and prolific collectors have already jumped on. So it has all the recipe or all the components in the recipe for success. So I'm, I'm super excited to be a part of this journey with Emily and, and all the other collectors to see where it goes. Absolutely. And I, I echo those sentiments. We talked about this at the beginning. Really cool collection, really great breadth. I think a lot of different ways people can collect that are not in the metadata, which is fun. It, it's more like an Easter egg hunt. So with that being said, uh, really appreciate everybody tuning in. Thank you again. Uh, we are at collectors underscore XYZ on Twitter, www.collectorscorner.xyz. We have YouTube. We'll have our links there. Everything will be in the show notes. Really appreciate your feedback. And if you'd like to help us out, please subscribe, comment, And uh, as always, let us know if you need help. If you're looking at something, you want our opinion, we DMs are open on Discord. We're in the Artblocks Discord is an easy place to find us. Just hit us up. I am Aston Cloud on Discord at Aston Cloud on Twitter. Where can folks find you, J-Paws? I am J underscore pause P-O-Z in Discord and Jared underscore pause in Twitter. And, you know, as P said, Give us the feedback. We want to make this thing great for all of you guys and ourselves. So please, it's the only way for us to grow is to to be able to listen to all of your feedback. So please, please, please engage. We love each and every one of you and we appreciate anything you can uh, you can give us. If it's a listen, feedback, anything. Absolutely. And Emily, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the podcast putting it out there, putting the good vibes into the universe. And uh, everybody else, uh, in addition to everything Jay Paza said, keep an eye out for 8NAP Fund and news from there. He's working hard on it. So we are all looking forward to hearing how it goes. And, and good luck on that, brother. I'm looking forward to it. It's a, it's a passion of mine. Hopefully anybody who listens can tell. So I'm, I'm putting myself out there and, and really, really looking forward to what the future holds. So are we. So are we. All right, everybody. Until next time. We'll see you later. Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We hope you enjoyed this episode and you found it useful in your collecting journey. Please check out our website, www.collectorscorner.xyz for show notes and digital art galleries related to this episode. You can also follow us on Twitter, at collectors underscore XYZ. If you'd like to help us out, please leave us a five-star review on our website or your favorite podcasting platform and or leave some feedback on how we can do better. The Collector's Corner team and guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.